When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I think, Gina, I think that um, I have made an error in judgment, assuming um, that most of my listeners have a connection to recovery from a personal perspective and they're wondering why their kids are going through it. But what you just started talking about when you sat down is a really important topic because you are not personally in recovery, but you work in the recovery industry and help addicts. Right. That's correct. And you're a mom. I'm a mom. Of a teen. Of a teen. Your teen, are, how are they doing? So he's okay. I mean, he's, he's a great kid and... I, you know, you, I've grown, he's grown up in this industry with me. So he's one of those kids that knew that alcohol and drugs were something that weren't good for his body. And he's made conscious decisions to not participate in those types of behaviors. And so I think he watched what our value system was and got involved with that. But that doesn't mean he's not without his own stressors. It doesn't mean that he doesn't struggle with the day-to-day of being a teenager in this culture. And so he has to find other ways to handle the stress and the, the pressures that come with being a teenager today that might be very different than what you and I had to deal with growing up. Right. Gina, you work at Harmony. I do work at Harmony. We're good friends with Harmony. Yes, we, we're, we're neighbors. We are absolute neighbors. Uh, we, we've brought our kids to your 12-step meetings throughout yeah. the years, all kinds of stuff. I've, I've, in fact, speaking of Harmony, I've, I've interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've interviewed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, our PR marketing coordinator was just at Harmony. She was. Jordan was up visiting with us, which was great. <laughs> so how is it that not being in recovery, you ended up in the recovery industry? What are you doing there? Well, I tell people that it was really more of a, uh, that it, the, it was a calling or more of a vocation. I didn't pick it. It picked me. And while I may not be personally in recovery, my family has been affected by the disease and I've lost very dear friends from the disease. And so I have a level of empathy and understand that this is something that we all have an obligation to be a part of and helping create solution for, and that it's not just somebody who's in recovery helping another person in recovery. Now, admittedly, when I first came into the industry about 15 years ago, I was very nervous because I was like, what can I contribute? I'm not in recovery. I don't know what it means to be addicted to heroin or alcohol, but you don't have to be in that space in order to be a support function for people. And All right. that's been huge. I, that's, that is the, the main point that, that I, I believe we have an opportunity with you. We, because you could, as a, as a parent who's, mm-hmm. and I, and I, like since you sat down, I was like, oh my God, like I work with parents all the time where the mom is like, I've never used anything. Mm -hmm. And now my kid is like in rehab. Mm -hmm. How did I go from that to this and everything? What was it that you uh, uh, learned? Because as, as someone in recovery, when you first got into the industry, my assumption is the only thing you could have given me is more judgment. Mm -hmm. 
and it would take a lot of skill on your part to speak with me, not understand what it is to be me, and not judge me. Mm -hmm. So how did you navigate past non-judgment, and what have you picked up along the way that has allowed you to say, this is how someone who doesn't experience what you're experiencing understands it? I think the, the big thing that was a differentiator for me was that I had the opportunity and the honor to work with people who were in long-term recovery and know that it's possible. And so knowing that I could work side by side with people who were living a program and working on a daily basis around their character defects and making amends for things that they did wrong and really trying to be better people and make better decisions made me realize that that actually applies to anybody. You don't have to be in recovery from alcohol or drugs to do that. And so I think that's where it went to was this idea of this is possible and while the things that we hear in the media say contrary and that people are constantly relapsing it really isn't the tr true reality of what happens when you're working day to day with people in recovery and so working with people in recovery gave me an opportunity to see what I could be doing differently in my life to be a resource to others and I knew if they could do it and they had bigger struggles than I can do it and I don't think I'm that different than anybody else I think everyone has the ability to engage with folks who are working a program and know that it's possible to be sober and then take the principles of recovery and even apply it to your life day to day. I mean, how many of us remember to every night when we put our head down, talk about the things that we're grateful for and remember the things that we're grateful for? Or how many times do we reflect on our day and who did I maybe do wrong that I need to go back and say I'm sorry to? I mean, these are just human things that we need to be doing every single day. And that's no different than if you're in recovery or you're not. And so what that allowed me to do is to be able to step into a space that when somebody comes to Harmony and they're broken and they're fragile and they're full of shame is to say, I know where you are and it's okay because we're going to be able to help you get to a place where I've seen the success of recovery and I know it's possible. So I think that plays a big part in it is that I've just been surrounded by amazing people who have worked every day to just turn their lives around and and they've done it well. And I think that's the mystery is people keep thinking, well, it's not possible, but it really is. How do you translate that into being a parent? Now, because it, because just using recovery terms and recovery culture on a child, um, if, if they understand the terms and the culture, that might work. But you're, we're still talking about, you know, how do you... How do you do this? What aspects of your work in the recovery industry do you use when you go home? So it's funny you say that because my child who's 17 now, who's you know painfully trying to break free and be independent, right. wants his own <laughs> life and doesn't want mom and dad telling him what to do anymore. Over the years, I've caught myself saying things to him like when he says things to me like, I'm tired of you making me feel this way. My reply back to him is, <laughs> well, actually, I can't make can't you feel make that you way. Feel right, I can't. And, and so even though it's not considered... I'm not teaching him in a formal recovery fashion. I am using the principles of what the nature of recovery is about. And, right. and I think we as parents, we actually do that all the time. We just don't realize that we're doing it. And so, you know, as a mom, nobody told me what the manual was going to be like having a teenager. And half the time I feel like I have it figured out. And then I realize it's completely wrong. And I, I something happens and it pivots. And I'm kind of like, okay, that didn't go the way I expected it to go. And and it's scary and it's uncertain, but one thing I do know for sure is that 
my plan is not his plan. My path is not his path. All I can do is be there to stand there and support him. And if he fumbles and, st and falls, which I hope he does, because failure is a huge part of success. And I remember days where I would put his face in my hands and I would say, it's okay to fail and I want you to fail. I want you to fail a hundred times that because failure is going to get you where you want to be in life. And I think too many times our kids feel like we as parents expect perfection. And when we're creating that, whether we know it or not, they're carrying that extra burden as well. And so yeah. we really want to work on making sure that they have the space to be able to make mistakes and support them in those mistakes. You know, you seem, yeah, one of the ideal talking points that, that we're beginning to address is the idea that, this, that, that we don't have control over this kid's life. However, as parents, we've been through the gauntlet. You work in, in the at rock bottom like like it's mm -hmm. none of the facilities here are called rock bottom but quite frankly that'd be a great name for a facility mm -hmm. because that's where your clients are so how do you talk to your kid about rock bottom um knowing that a you can't control it b they're not going to understand it till they're there um and c and d and e like like how do you keep your kid and can you even keep your kid do you assume any level of authority control or directional uh, uh, instruction over your child's life? I think as they get older, it becomes less and less because they want to be able to make their own decisions and live with their own consequences. We don't think that they do, but I really believe, and my son told me this just the other night, that I need to have permission to be able to make mistakes so that I can figure out what the consequences of those are. And that was profound for me. And so I can't pretend to wrap him up in bubble wrap and assume that I'm going to be able to protect him from everything because I can't. And I see too often that the parents, the, the parents of the 55-year-old children that are coming in who, right. who say, I did everything I could to keep him from using, and I've picked him up time and time and time again, and, and now they're in their 70s, and they've used all of their retirement funds to be able to help support their adult child, and the reality is they really needed to step back. They needed to step back and allow their kids to be able to make those decisions, and as hard as it is to watch that happen, it's their path, and I keep going back to that, because that was a huge eye-opener for me, where I have this idea in my head of what I want my kids' life to look like and I want it to be pain-free and struggle-free and the reality is that's not realistic. What is realistic is he's going to struggle and he's going to have heartache and he's going to have joy but that's that's his path in his life and there's only so much that we can do as parents to prevent those things from happening. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate. And you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and 
broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting-edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health, and I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. I was saying to Gina off the air, parents who are listening, I was saying to Gina off the air that um, I think she's really representing a voice uh, that hasn't been represented uh, before on Beyond Risk and Back. And this is, and, I, and I, I likened her to a Vietnam nurse. Like maybe she's never held a gun, but she is out there in the fields dressing more gunshot wounds than any of the other soldiers. And I like that because you... Those of us who have been in recovery come to the industry of, of recovery with, with these wounds and these battle scars and everything. Um, you, you certainly have your own life, your own past and everything, but you, you come at to, you've come at this with fresh eyes. Maybe you're all jaded now because you've been, how many, 18 <laughs> years, you said? Or? Uh, I've been working in addiction treatment specifically for 15. 15 years, mm -hmm. okay. How long have you been with Harmony? Three. Three years. years. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and what do you do there? What is I'm the chief marketing officer. Marketing. Okay. So, so it is it, your job is to to see this daily struggle and connect someone who doesn't understand the struggle to your facility. What is it that parents? This is another point. I actually didn't discuss this with you, but you have been referencing parents of children. And these children that you're referencing are like 55 years old, 35 mm -hmm. years old. Talk about that for a second. You've been in this, in the adult recovery for a long time, yet you still call them children. Oh, they are. And a lot of them come to us with a lot of the same issues that our adolescents come to treatment with because they have an arrested development, right? So a lot of them started using when they were younger. They have an emotional, you know, their executive functioning isn't the same, even though they might assume it is. What's interesting is that when I when I worked on the front end with admissions, I used to work with fam with parents who had 60-year-old, uh, 50, even 50 or 40-year-old children that were going off and they were, bend they were doing benders and they would go get them from the hotel rooms and they would drive three hours hours to go pick them up and bring them back to their house and have them sleep it off in their in their couch and I would have to coach the parents around you don't realize that you not you're not actually helping your adult child you're perpetuating the disease and their fear of but what happens if they get in a car and they start driving and they hurt themselves or someone else and I said that is a reality and and I'm sorry that you have to deal with this but the, the point is is that as you continue to create the line that's okay for them to have this behavior it's going to give them permission to continue drink and use. And so the boundaries have to be put in place early on. So for parents who are listening, don't wait until your child is 30 and 40 years old. You sleeping on your sofa and waiting for, you know, you to use your retirement funds to um, go to treatment yet again because it doesn't have to be that long. You can literally put those boundaries in place now and set expectations of what you will accept and what you will not accept. And believe me, as a mom, I can imagine how hard that must be. I mean, I've not physically been in a place yet where I've had to worry about that, but there have been other things where I've had to step back and go, am I going to be okay with allowing my children to make these mistakes? And, and is that something that is going to help them or hurt them down the road? So the boundary piece is vital. It's absolutely vital. I think the other thing is that when you're dealing with a young person, very much when you're dealing with an older adult, you have to be able to meet them where they're at. 
And so we can't make assumptions that our kids are farther along in their development than they really are. And I made mistakes like that with my son where I just assumed, well, he's got this. He's mature. He's 17. He's graduating from high school soon. He doesn't really need my oversight. I, right. He's got this all covered. And, and the truth is, is that they still need us. It's just a matter of in what way do they need us. So that communication piece is really important, really sitting down with them and asking them, what do you need versus what do you want? And how can we help support you at this stage of your development? and getting there because they're in this teeter-totter place of they want to be fiercely independent but their brains are not fully developed yet so you know that they're not going to be a hundred percent on point yet so where does that balance lie for you as a parent and helping support them in this transition in their next phase of their life? How do you, you talked about earlier is that as a mom, of course you have this perfect picture, you want what's best, mm -hmm. and then you come into a facility because your, your child is struggling and they start throwing this E word at you, enabling and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, and, and then the B word, the boundaries and enabling, but your, your picture and how do you tell a parent, hey, that picture that you have has actually led you to this moment? Yeah. Um, like, how, how do you reconcile that? I think it's also important for the individual, the moms that are listening and the parents that are listening, that they came into the relationship with their children with their own baggage. And so they have their own work that they need to do. It's not just about what do I need to do to parent my child right, but what do I need to do for myself to be a better person so that my child can get the best of me when I'm parenting. And so, yeah, we can throw out words like enabling and boundaries and codependency, which <laughs> are enough. all you oh. know in the dictionary for parenting, right? But the reality is, is that so much of our parenting is driven by self-reflection around what, why do I do what I do? And a lot of times it's because the roadmap of our lives brought us to this point. We witnessed something when we were growing up, we experienced something when we were growing up, what was familiar, and we carried that over to our children. So it's not uncommon for people to go to what's familiar and of what's course. comfortable. And so I think for us as parents, we have an obligation of doing our own work because, and I think that happens even if your kid isn't struggling with drugs or alcohol or mental health issues. I think it's the right thing to do as a parent because you're now better prepared to handle the hard stuff when you can do your own work first. And so, um, and you know, sometimes that's hard to do because we got a lot of demons in our closet and we don't always want to look at those. Let's, let's talk about now that you've been in the industry 15 years, you have a son who's 17 years old, getting ready to step onto the choo-choo and begin his own mm -hmm. journey down the track. At what point would you completely intervene Take out, take away his vote, whether he's 17 or 26. Mm -hmm. Where's your, I got, I got two lines I'm asking for. Where's your line where you would say, you don't get a vote, we're going to treatment. And where's your cut bait line? I think if he wasn't demonstrating an effort to try and change, I think if he was showing that he wasn't remorseful or humil having humility, I think if he saw that he, you know, he, if he was self-blaming every, if he was blaming everyone else and not taking ownership for his actions, I would feel like at that point I need to step in, because if he's not seeing that this, his actions are impacting people in a ripple effect in a much bigger way, and so if he's not showing a level of commitment to seeing the impact of his actions outside of himself, then I would need to step in. And that's my, and that's where my obligation is as a parent is to say, look, you're not there yet. You're just not there because, um, whether you believe it or not, you're in this place of, of, of self, self, Fishness, I guess I would say self-absorbed really, where they're just so consumed about their own stuff. And 
if everybody else is to blame for what they did, then there needs to be an intervention because there needs to be some, some introspection around their behavior and they need to be willing to say, I'm sorry about what I did, my behavior was wrong and I need to make amends. And so I would believe that that would be my, my cutoff point for him is that if I didn't see the changes happening um, in a level of humility, he's not getting it. And it wouldn't be okay for me to just continue taking that course. Now, I'm not saying that I would carry him 100%, but I would definitely start setting very specific boundaries in place around what I would accept and what I wouldn't accept. And that's my second question, because you have worked with families. Now the child is 55. Mm -hmm. This is their 18th treatment program. Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon Novak, who was my 100th episode, he was from Jackass, mm -hmm. a professional skater. Like 16 treatment programs. That's right. At what point, as an admissions officer, would you look at a, and I know that's not what you do now, mm -hmm. but you did that for a long time. At what point would you look at a family and you say, you guys need to cut bait here. Mm -hmm. You need to let this go. They need to move this. Like, is there a point and talk about this as a mom first and an industry mm -hmm. specialist second. Mm -hmm. So so for me, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, if I have a child that is coming into treatment yet again and isn't getting it. The yet again. Yet that's again. The... My, my first thing I would say is um, this disease affects the whole family. It doesn't affect just the individual. And so if I'm seeing that my kid is repeating treatment over and over again, then the system is not working for him. And I'm not talking about the treatment system. I'm talking the family system. And so yeah. what is it that I need to do and what does my family need to do to help be supportive in addressing the recovery of this entire family system? And so if the, ch if the child is coming back to treatment, even on the third or fourth attempt, at that point, if the work hasn't been done with the family and the culture hasn't shifted, he is he or she is going to keep coming back into that system. Yeah. And that's where I I feel like as a as an advocate for people in recovery, I have to continually remind families that you can't just drop your child off at treatment and think they're going to get fixed because treatment is a incubator. If they're there 30 days, 60 days, in your case, four months, and they're in the program, they have to learn how to adapt to life outside of treatment. Right, right. And if the family drops them off at treatment and says, fix my child, that's not a realistic culture or system for them to live in day to day. So you have to start introducing them to life on life's terms when they're in a recovery, in a re space of recovery, which means the family has to change, which means you can't bring your kid back into a home environment and everybody in the family system continues to do the same thing. You can't put the kid back in the same high school sometimes if the system isn't supporting them in their recovery. And so the repeating of behavior that happens in recovery isn't just about the child. It's not just about the young adult. It's not just about, you know, the 35-year-old the business person. It's about the entire system, the entire yeah. family system, the community. Does this individual, does your child have a community of support that they can go into when they leave treatment that's going to help support them in their recovery? You know, the reality is that this is a chronic disease, and it's not something that can be fixed in 30 days. It is an ongoing process, and there's a lot of different factors that play a part. And so what are we doing outside to take care of our family while your child is in treatment? We're learning the, the social determinants of health to help them do better. You know, it, I think, I mean, they're beautifully stated. And, and this, the whole family has to recover is something that everybody who works in the industry, we know it. It's not something that the business side of us have always promoted or offered mm -hmm. as part of the, the solutions to mm -hmm. the problem. However, that's changing. This the, We are in a changing time in treatment where your kid's not in recovery, your family's in recovery. And the biggest point about that, and I hear this in your voice, is that 
when you've got a kid in their third, fourth, fifth, at some point you got to look in the, at the family and say, even if they don't recover, can you? Right. Because they may not, will right. you? Right, exactly. And we've, we found ourselves in situations where people who leave our program will go home to their families and the, and the individual continues to use and the family will still stay engaged with us and we'll say, yeah. you need to keep working your program. You need to keep going to Al-Anon meetings or fellowship meetings or, or whatever that looks like because those are the things that are going to keep you sober, not sober in the drinking sense, but sober in the chaotic behavior sense that oftentimes comes with this disease. And so while you can't be in control of what your child is doing, you can take care of you. And what is that going to look like? Because eventually there is going to be a shift that's going to happen. Whether we want it to happen or not, it's going to happen. Right. And so it, it, is, it is a fascinating concept. And I think a lot of people still live in this space of this disease only affects one person. And that one person, if we change them, everything else is going to get better. If only they would, then yes. we could. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Gina, so. let's talk about Harmony Foundation. Uh, is this your 45? Fifth year or sixth year? Actually, this is our 50th year. Holy moly. Yes, so we went into our 50th year. Congratulations. Yes, we're so excited. And we've treated uh, over 25,000 people wow. in that 50 years. And we're very proud of the legacy that we've created at Harmony. And we're very well known in the state you of Colorado. You are very well known. And we've, um, we've gone through lots of changes over the years. But the biggest change that we've made is that we've introduced a lot more mental health into our program. And we've opted to um, do a lot more medical assisted treatment for our clients when they come into Harmony. So where people used to know us back in the day is the 12-step-based the 12 12 step kind of right, white-knuckle sure, sure. it through treatment, we've really become much more advanced around our clinical services and offering people a full spectrum of resources to help them get sober. Well, I have to say, you know, I've had staff go to Harmony mm -hmm. to, to become employees. Harmony's had staff come to Fire Mountain. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not just neighbors. We've shared a lot of amazing people. Uh, I don't even know if Gretchen is still there. She we, is. God, Gretchen, yes. she was an intern with us. And yes. Then I, I utterly adore Gretchen. <laughs> she's and I'm, good. I'm she's so a wonderful happy. mental she, health counselor, and we're really happy to have her. She's a, she's, she was just a superior wilderness uh, uh, therapist for us at the mm -hmm. time, and uh, really, it's some early growing pains that she was with. Mm -hmm. I hope she listens to this episode, because we love Gretchen dearly. I'm so glad she's with you guys. Um, how, do, how, how are parents and families going to find Harmony Foundation. These are for 18 and up. You're, you're a co-ed, mm -hmm. but you have very separate uh, living mm -hmm. treatment programs. Correct. Yep. So uh, it's gender responsive. So the clients are in treatment um, separately, um, but they are on the same campus. We're, 40, we're on 47 acres, and so we're pretty big. So we, we work hard to keep them, you know, fairly separate. However, got to stay focused. Yes, got to stay focused. Um, if folks are interested in learning about Harmony, we invite you to visit us at HarmonyFoundationInc.com or they can call us at 866-686-7867. And you guys are starting to offer a lot more like online training series mm -hmm. and, and education programs. We do. We have webinar series that we do once a month. We have lunch and learn series that we're doing in Fort Collins. Um, we're actually trying to get more programming on campus as well so people can come up to Estes. I know that wintertime isn't always the best time for people to drive up That's the mountain. That's a hard but, one. But it is, you know, our campus is, an, is a campus that we really want people to come and visit. Um, even though a lot of people consider us to be the best kept secret, our focus is really to give more awareness about our program. And, and it, it came to our attention very early that you guys are now the the, the mental health aspect mm -hmm. of harmony um, is, is growing rapidly mm -hmm. and my recent referral to you guys was mm -hmm. a primary mental health and we're grateful for that uh, thank uh, you my pleasure um, 
like I said, we're neighbors. Yes. Like, like, and it's, it's good to know you guys. It's good to be in good company. Gina Thorne from Harmony Foundation. This was a good show, Gina. Thank you for helping moms uh, uh, who may not understand this from personal experience. This well, my was... pleasure, and it's really an honor, and I appreciate everything that you all are doing at Fire Mountain. The work is not easy, but it's rewarding and it's necessary. It so. is. Thanks so much. Thanks for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere, all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.